0: All right, well, good morning. morning. See you guys. Now, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Jeremiah. So I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. You can mark Isaiah chapter 11 and then also Jeremiah 29. Isaiah 2, 11, and Jeremiah 29. 29 will be the text that we're going to explore this morning. We're answering the question, should our hope in Jesus' return and a peaceful kingdom continue? Should our hope in Jesus' return and a peaceful kingdom continue? This is our last, uh, or my last message in this particular series, Christmas Reveals. Um, And so this will get us into the new year here with today's message and hopefully launch us into 2020 together as a church. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll dive into the message this morning. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together once again as a church uh, this Sunday and to come and, and to worship you, God, uh, to sing praises to your name, uh, and now to open your word. And God, as we do this, uh, as we hear today's message, would you give us hope, would you give us peace and joy, as we enter into a new year, would you help us to apply the ideas from your text today to our life? In this, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I can't believe it, but 2019 is over; 2020 has begun. And while that is exciting, while I look forward to what the Lord is going to do this next year in, in the life of my family, in the life of this church, in the life of this community. Uh, it means that another Christmas has coming on without Jesus returning. I mean, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born as a little babe in a manger, and, and he's yet to return as a conquering king as He has, has promised to do. And Jesus' delay may make it hard for you to keep believing. It may make it hard for you to, to believe that he is going to return, that he is going to set everything right, especially given the recent headlines. I mean, just last week, a, a gunman entered into a church. We have Jews who are being targeted in New York. We have several Christians overseas who jailed. Some even killed for their faith. The world in which we live is, is clearly not heaven. I mean, fear... oppression, war, injustice, sickness, disease, death. All of these things are things that we face on a daily basis. Yet scripture gives us a promise. Scripture promises that a perfect future kingdom awaits those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. In Isaiah, he paints an amazing picture for us of the kingdom to come in chapter 2 and chapter 11 of his text. And so if you Look at chapter 2 with me, beginning in verse 2. Isaiah says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so we see here that that Jesus is going to reign. Jesus is going to rule over all of this world. Jesus is going to also teach the nations. We see there that he is going to teach the people. And these people are not going to run from Jesus' teaching. These people are going to run to Jesus' teaching. We are going to want to hear what Jesus has to say. And we are going to apply his teaching to our life. And along with Jesus reigning and ruling, along with, with the teaching that Jesus is going to provide for the whole earth, we also see that there's gonna be peace. Look at verse four. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war Anymore. There is going to be peace. We see here that, that instruments of war, swords and spears, they're literally going to be turned into instruments of agriculture. There will be peace. Jesus will bring about this peace between nations. The peace between nations is not all that's going to exist. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 11 with me. Look at what he says in verse 6. And as we read through this, I mean, notice how none of these things would take place today. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So we see that there's going to be peace in creation. I mean, things that would never take place. I mean, the wolf and the the lamb, they're not dwelling together. The wolf is trying to, to eat the lamb. You would never allow your kid, your baby, to play near a poisonous snake's hole. I mean, none of these things would ever take place at all in this world. Jesus will come and he will create the world anew. The world in which it was literally designed to, in a way it was designed to operate in the beginning. Jesus will come and there will be peace. And there will be peace, he says here at the end of verse 9, because the earth shall know the knowledge of the Lord. Everybody in this world will know the knowledge of God. Everybody in this world will see Jesus as king, will see Jesus as Lord. Everyone will submit to that. Everyone will submit to his teaching. and Everyone will live in accordance with his will. This is an amazing world in which Isaiah pictures for us here, a world I know that that I long for, a world that I know that that many of you probably long for, a world with no sickness and no death, no disease, no war, no oppression, no injustice, a world where everything is operating in the way that God has originally designed for it to operate, a world that has not been affected by the fall, but has been created anew. I know that I long for this world. I know that you long for this world. I know that the world longs for this world. A world that is perfect and perfectly ruled by a perfect creator. And while this is the world that many of us long for, we have to wonder, I mean, will this world ever happen? Jesus came to this earth over 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years have passed since Jesus' first sermon where he said, repent, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Will that kingdom ever come? Will what we read about here in the book of Isaiah ever happen? Will we ever experience a world of peace? The answer is yes, but not yet. you can think of it like this. On June 6, 1944, more than 160,000 Allied troops landed along a 50-mile stretch of beach in France beach that was heavily fortified by the Nazis. And while more than 9,000 Allied soldiers lost their life or were wounded that day, by days in the invasion, it had proven successful. A foothold was gained in Europe and over 100,000 soldiers began the hard, slow slog across Europe to victory over Adolf Hitler's army. And once this battle was won there on the beaches that day, I mean, there was there was little doubt that the Germans were going to be defeated. And those in the prison camps, those in the cities that had been that are occupied by the Nazis, I mean, they knew that that was going to take place. They began to feel a sense of of hope. But but while they felt this sense of hope, they were not to, they were not able to experience victory. They were not able to experience freedom that day. There was still oppression. There was still death that took place after that. And they waited, and they waited expectantly until finally, almost a year later, Victory Day came and the Nazis were defeated, May 1945. And just as those who lived in those cities, those who were in those prison camps felt that tension felt that tension of hope, felt that tension of of coming freedom. We feel that tension of hope. We feel that tension of coming freedom as we live in between D-Day, Jesus's death and burial and and resurrection and his ascension, and Victory Day when Jesus is going to finally return. We live here in this in-between and the same tension that they felt is the same tension that we feel now as we long for, for victory to come, as we long for our Savior to come and set everything right. attention that one author captures well when he says, the kingdom of God is both the foundation of the church and the goal of the world. Therefore, we have and we hope we give thanks and we sigh for more. Isaiah's picture will become a reality one day, but we have to remember that that is a picture of the world to come. Right now, we live in the already, not yet. Right now, we live in the in-between, a a time where we can taste victory, a time where where our hope is palpable, where, where we know that Jesus is going to return, but yet he hasn't yet. Now, you might be thinking, well, how can you be so sure of that? I mean, you seem pretty sure, you seem pretty confident that Jesus will return. How can we be so confident? Well, I believe that we can be confident that Jesus will return because our God is a promise-keeping God. He kept his promise to Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham, to David, to to deal with the problem of sin, to send a Messiah, to, to establish a throne forever. He has kept this promise and he has orchestrated event after event after event over millennia in order to make this come about. And so we know we can be confident in Jesus's return because we have a promise keeping God. And not just that that Jesus is going to return one day, but that Jesus is going to return and he is going to defeat evil. He is going to set up his kingdom, his perfect kingdom in this world. And the picture that we read about in Isaiah will become a reality. We can take that promise to the bank thinking about the world in which we live, how sinful it is, it might tempt you. It might tempt you to lose hope, to lose hope in God's promise. But we serve. We serve a mighty, sovereign God. We serve a promise-keeping God. We serve a holy God. And he will bring about his promises. What we read about will take place. And I think we can take that to the bank But here's the thing, we are living, we aren't living in the fullness of the kingdom now. There isn't peace in this world now. We are living in the in-between. We are living in this time of tension between Jesus's ascension and Jesus's return. And so we have to ask, well, well, how do we live now? How do we live in the in-between? Well, I believe as we live in the in-between, we should live in a way that, that where we work to bring about change. And you might be thinking, well, work to bring about change. I mean, why are we going to work to bring about change? I mean, you're saying that this world in which we are living now is just temporary. Why do we need to work to bring about change in this world? Well, I believe that we work to bring about change for the same reason that Israel was to work to bring about change. And this takes us to our passage in Jeremiah 29. So turn there with me. In Jeremiah 29, we see that, that, the, the exi- that the Israel is going to be exiled off to Babylon. And as you read through Scripture, you see that you know, Israel is a rebellious, but rebellious people. And if you begin to, to read through Scripture with us this, this year, and I hope that you do, I hope that, that, you, that you get on the Scripture reading plan with everyone at the church. Um, you can access that on our website and learn more about that. But as you read through Scripture you really see that Israel is a rebellious people. They have forsaken the Lord for other gods. They trust in other nations to provide for them. They don't run to God. They don't worship him in the way that that he wants them to worship him. They are an unfaithful people. And because of their unfaithfulness, because of their idolatry, God has sent them into exile to Babylon. Babylon. Now, at this time, when when this is happening, some false prophets came and some false prophets said, yes, we are going into exile, but we're going to come back in just a few short years. So don't worry about it. You'll be back here soon. But Jeremiah comes that, you know, God sends Jeremiah on his behalf. And he says, I want you to tell the people something different. I want you to tell the people that you're not going to come back in just a few short years. You're going to be there for 70 years. A generation would come and go. Sons and daughters would be born. They will be given in marriage. Life would go on. You will be there for 70 years. And while you're there, I don't want you to live as a traveler. I want you to take root. Look at verse 5 with me. Jeremiah 29. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And so we see that they were to take root. Why? Were they to do that? Why were they supposed to take root? I mean, Babylon was not their home. Babylon was the, was the nation that God had sent, that God had used to take them into exile, to rip them out of the Promised Land. Why are they to take root there? Why are they to pray for Babylon? Well, look at the remainder of verse seven. He says, "For in its welfare, you will find your welfare." In other words, as a city prospers, they're going to prosper. As a city flourishes, they are going to flourish. And I believe the same idea applies to us, right? I mean, while we are exiles in this world, we are exiles. This world is not our home. We are exiles. But while we are exiles in this world and the kingdom is to come, we we live here now. And so instead of living as strangers, instead of living as, as travelers, we are to take root. We aren't to live out on the fringes. We aren't to pull back, right? we, we, we are instead to work for the good of our country. We are to work for the good of our city. We are to work for the good of our community. We are to pray for our leaders. We are to build houses. We are to conduct business. We are to have children. We are to give them in marriage. We are to work to make this city a better place. And we are to do that because as the city prospers, we prosper. As a city flourishes, we flourish. And that statement implies the idea that as we live according to God's design, things are generally going to go well for us. You see, God is the designer of this world. God is the creator of this world. And God has designed a, a way for this world to operate and to function. And when we live in ways that, that go against that, when we, when we, when we, when we live in ways that, that God has not designed for us to live, things are not going to go well. Things are not going to go well in your family. Things are not going to go well in your business. Things are not going to go well in the city in which you live, the nation in which you live. When we operate in a way that God has not designed, things are not going to go well. We are rubbing against the fabric of God's design for this world. But but when we operate in a way in which God has designed for us to operate, when we lead our families well, when we run our businesses well, when we operate in the city in the way that God has designed for us to operate, things will generally go well. God has a design, God has a plan, and he wants us to follow that. And we should do that. As we live in the in-between, we do that. And as we do that, the city flourishes. Our families flourish. Our businesses flourish. Our nation flourishes. As well as this idea goes back to the creation mandate. God told Adam and Eve to work it and to keep it. He said, look, take these things which exist in chaos and make something beautiful out of them. Have dominion over this world. And as we do that in our own lives, in our own businesses, and things go well. This is why we, we love to create. This is why when we see beautiful homes and, and beautiful businesses and beautiful landscapes, we're we are in awe. This is why we might seek to have New Year's resolutions to organize our house or organize our garage or organize our junk drawer. And when those things take place and when our garage is organized and when that junk drawer is a junk drawer, but it's organized and we open it and we can get things out of it, we're like, yes, there's peace, right? We feel that. We know that. And and that is the reality whether you're a believer or not because that is built into the fabric of who we are. We are created in the image of God. And we see that worked out in our life every single day. And so while we are here, we're to work to make things better. But how? How are we to work for change? Let me just say we aren't to use fear. We're not to use violence to bring about change. That's what the world does. And Jesus is clear that his kingdom is not of this world. As Jesus is on trial with Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 36, he says this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And we aren't to act in worldly terms. We aren't to use fear and violence and intimidation. We're not to do those things. And if we aren't to fight, if we aren't to use fear and violence, then how are we gonna bring about change? How should we bring about change in a way that honors God? Well, one way that I believe that we could bring about change in a way that honors God is through politics and law. Here's what one theologian says. True justice exists only in the society of God, And this will be truly fulfilled only after the judgment. Nevertheless, while no society on earth can fully express this justice, the one that is more influenced by Christians and Christian teaching will more perfectly reflect a just society. For this reason, Christians have a duty towards government. You see what he's saying? Politics and laws have a huge influence on our society, they're not going to solve all of our problems. No, not at all. They will not solve all of our problems, but they have a huge influence on our society. Laws express moral beliefs and judgments. They tell citizens what our society ought to value, what our society ought to condemn, what is worthy of our respect and what we should approve of and what we should disapprove of. Think about the states that have, you know, legalized marijuana. You know, this was not a law. This was not something that was illegal in the past. Several states have now taken on to this because they want the, the money from it. They want the tax money from it, the capital from it, even though it's creating a ton of different issues in, in their states. But think about that. Think about the citizens in those states. Many people in those states probably at this moment you know, are divided, you know, see that, that this is not something that they should do, that this is morally wrong for us to, to, to use and abuse drugs. But think about 50 years from now. A generation comes and goes. What are they going to think? They look at the law of the land, at least in their state, they're going to think that it's okay for them to do that. You see, laws teach. Laws express morals. tells us what we should approve of and and disapprove of. So we can't neglect the importance of politics and laws. They, They shape. They influence our moral lives. When there's an election, we, we should know what's happening. We should be aware of the issues. We should educate our family and, and, our, and our friends. We should, we should vote. We should encourage others to do the same. And maybe even for some of us, we should get into politics and lawmaking. We need good, solid Christian people in those positions, in that sector, for this very reason. One well, other way that we can bring about change is by truly living as disciples of Jesus. Several years ago, I was having a conversation with a friend at Starbucks, and, and this guy had been through some difficulties in his life, and, and God had really been working on him and, and shaping him and growing him and, and really changing him as a disciple. And as we sat there and we talked, as we did often, he said, what if the world saw Jesus' disciples actually living out their calling? What if the world really saw that? They saw true disciples living out their calling. What kind of impact do you think that we would have on our families, our cities, our community, our nation? What kind of impact would we have there? I mean, think about the witness that would take place. The power of the gospel is shaping us and, and changing us. Think about the change that, that we could bring as we, as we truly live that out. Think about the difference that we would be able to make just by living according to God's word and God's will. Now, you may be thinking, well, well haven't we already tried that, right? I mean, this nation was founded by Christian men on, on Christian principles, and I would say, well, that's partly true. I mean, certainly that, that, that is partly true, but, but in some sense, we don't really live out our calling as Christians on an everyday basis. Not all of those who would claim to be disciples of Jesus are, are truly living as Jesus would have them to live. They're not living according to God's will and God's way. and That hinders our witness in the world. That, that hinders the example that, that we are supposed to bring to others. That keeps us from being a light to this world when we don't really live out our calling as Jesus has called us. When we allow our own preferences and our own desires and our own will and our wants to get in the way. When, when, our, when our sinful nature begins to take over and we run after idols. We do things to people that are not loving and caring. When all of that stuff takes place and the world looks in, they see these people don't live any different than me. Why? Why? Would I want to follow Jesus? He hasn't changed them at all. See, cultural Christianity at times has has taken a stronghold in this country. And we think, well, it's just the right thing to do to be a Christian. It's just the right thing to do to to come to church. But then when you look at other nations, particularly the nation of China, and and you see that the church is, is growing, that there is a revival in the land despite the government trying to do all that they can to squash that. People were coming to Christ in leaps and bounds because those Christians know that it is a life and death matter. They know that if they're gonna say that they are a believer, they're gonna face backlash, but they're gonna go forward with it anyways because they see that Jesus truly is the savior. They see that he truly does provide them with hope. They see that Jesus truly is gonna come back and establish the kingdom that Isaiah speaks about that God's word proclaims and that God promises will take place and those around them see the commitment that they have made, they see them walking that out in their life every single day and they're like, what do those people have that I don't? What is causing them to do that? Why are they living differently? So think about the impact. What if the world saw Jesus' disciples actually living out their calling? Another way that we can bring about change is by living, is by preaching the gospel. And I left this one for last because I believe it is the most important, right? I mean, while laws are going to influence, laws are going to constrain, examples are powerful. What truly brings about change is the gospel driven into our hearts by the Spirit. And the heart that I'm talking about here is not, you know, the inner organ, when the Bible talks about the heart, the Bible talks about our will, our wants, our desires so that, so that when David prays in Psalms fifty one ten, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He's not saying, God, literally open up my chest cavity and put another heart in me. He is saying, change my will, change my desires, change my spirit so that they might be in line with yours so that I might follow you. And that's what it takes for us to be truly changed. We must have the spirit drive the gospel message, the good news that Jesus has come and that Jesus has died for us and that Jesus has resurrected. And we, if we believe in that, then we can have life. We can experience resurrection. We can experience the kingdom to come. When we believe that true change will take place in our hearts. True change will take place in the hearts of those around us. And so as we preach the gospel to others and as the Spirit drives the gospel into their hearts so that they see that Jesus is valuable, so that see that Jesus is their Savior, change will begin to take place. It is inevitable in that person. It can't stop from happening. They will become believers and they will be changed. And those around us in our communities as they believe in Jesus will experience change. And so as the Christmas season passes, as the new year begins, don't don't grow discouraged. Jesus is coming back. remember that. Continue to hope in that. Continue to dream of the world to come because our hope will become a reality one day. And as we live in the in-between, Work to make this world a better place. Work for the good of our cities. Work so the lost might experience the same hope that you experience.